Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And we welcome you to this week's edition. Coming up, we will talk to Tim Brando of Fox Sports. Timmy B joins us to discuss the non going on in the sports world and uh, when the sports world came to a screeching halt. He was at the microphone at the Big East Basketball Tournament. We'll chat with Tim Brando in just a few moments. First, we start off with some sad news. Legendary Miami Dolphins head coach Don Shula passing away today at the age of 90. Of course, he finished his coaching career as the all-time winningest coach in NFL history with 328 wins, only two losing seasons in 33 Total. That is impressive. And, of course, as Coach Shula is such a legend in South Florida for bringing the Miami Dolphins two world championships under his coaching tenure, was the first, uh, made the Dolphins the first team to actually reach three straight Super Bowls after they had lost to the Dallas Cowboys in Super Bowl six. They came back and won seven and eight, including a perfect season, 17 and 0, the only one on record in NFL history, and as great and as well-known as Coach Don Shula is for what he did for the Miami Dolphins franchise, he was actually the head coach of the Baltimore Colts prior to that. He joined the Dolphins in Season 4. He had coached the Colts to uh, the Super Bowl three. They lost that infamous guarantee game to Joe Namath and the New York Jets. The Colts were prohibitive favorites. I believe 18 was the line on that game in which Broadway Joe and the Jets pulled the big 16-7 upset over the established NFL Colts. That was the big win that really gave the AFL its foothold as they would obviously were planning to merge and three years later it became official as several of the AFL teams were absorbed into the National Football League as part of that merger. But uh, Don Shula, passing away at the age of 90, and when things get back to normal, go to a steakhouse and raise a glass to the great Don Shula. The Dallas Cowboys, interesting signing over the weekend. They inked former Bengals quarterback Andy Dalton to a one-year deal worth $3 million. Now, the hot take artists are already saying, oh boy, they're, uh, they're, they're giving Dak Prescott a message as they franchise Dak. They have not come to a contract agreement yet. And the hot take artists are saying, well, this will get Dak uh, you know, a little message. Of, hey, we got a starting quarterback here. And Andy Dalton is a fine starting quarterback. But really, this move for the Cowboys is all about upgrading the backup quarterback position. Cooper Rush, who was released today, has been the quarterback, uh, backup quarterback the last three seasons. And in all honesty, if Dak Prescott had missed any significant time with injury, the Cowboys would have been in deep trouble without Dak Prescott. So, uh, prudent move and a good move by the Cowboys coaching staff. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast from Fox Sports. He is Tim Brando, Timmy B. How are you and your family doing at Chateau Brando these days? We're doing the best we can, Jeff. Hanging in there like everybody else. Just uh, uh, in my case, uh, 
my season was over. I mean, I, I had done the last games that I was going to call. I think I had one day left uh, that I missed, but that was it. So this is the time of the year when I would be off no matter what, um, but I would be living uh, the normal life, which means playing a lot of golf, which I have not done yet. I'm going to change that tomorrow. I'm going to play my first round. I can't believe it's already May, and I've not been on the golf course. But I had to be a little extra careful because I'd been in New York uh, doing the last game that was played, called at halftime in the Big East tournament uh, in the quarterfinal round. So because of that, and because we've got uh, young babies, grandbabies, uh, and my wife has some pre-existing health issues, I had to be extra careful. So uh, I pretty much quarantined myself for well over a month. What are we now, in week seven? So uh, seven weeks after getting home, I'm finally going to get on the golf course. Up until now, about the only thing I've done outdoors is uh, feed walk and uh, dump uh, dirt in my backyard for my wife to work in her garden. That's about <laughs> <laughs> A steady diet of Home Depot dirt dumping is about all I've had uh, to do athletically, al- along with speed walking and uh, and uh, hitting the, the treadmill pretty hard. But that, that's been about it for me. Uh, I'm also working a little bit on a book that I plan to write in a couple of years, so this has given me a little extra time to deal with that. Uh, begin, you know, rummaging through some history of mine uh, to put to, together the, the outline and, and later a manuscript. It's probably going to be a two-year venture working on it, but it's given me a little extra time to, to get a head start. Well, we'll look forward to that, and I'm sure you are looking forward to uh, getting out on the golf course. And you mentioned the Big East Tournament. You were calling that quarterfinal game when it was uh, halftime of that contest. And I guess, to my knowledge, that was the last of sports to take place. I mean, it was probably already surreal with no fans, but how much more surreal was it with that cancellation? It was very, uh, and it, it moves into a category all by itself. It's a chapter in the book, <laughs> to say the least. I had done an, uh, an SEC tournament when a tornado hit back in 2008. Uh, Spencer Tillman and I had done a football game when a crazy lady decided to drive through barricades and mow down three people at a homecoming parade before an Oklahoma State football game in 2015. And so we opened that game with an obituary, but we did play the game. You know, sometimes you just can't control the environment uh, around you and the environment, the atmosphere in a live event can sometimes become the number one story rather than the game. And uh, that was certainly the case in all three of those situations. The difference with um, this most recent one was it was um, from a national standpoint, not just what had happened in a local area or with a, you know, a catastrophic weather event. This was a national and international uh, pandemic that was forcing a conclusion to live sports. And we were the last live sports out there. Uh, we were somewhat, when we came on the air, suspect of, of whether the game would actually be played. But after it began, you sort of thought, okay, well, we'll see it through its finish. And then they pulled the plug at halftime, which even made it, um, in my mind, even more bizarre, more memorable uh, for maybe all the wrong reasons. But uh, that's, that's the world we live in, you know. Uh, we are the toy department of life. There are things that are a heck of a lot more important than games. We talk about games, and it's amazing how relatively unimportant that can become when you're staring at a situation like our country was on uh, that afternoon of March 12th. 
Yeah, I was thinking about you too uh, when you mentioned the uh, the 2008 SEC tournament, and you know the case of the real world interrupting the sports world, and and you know at that time that game went into overtime, which probably ended up saving tons of lives because people weren't out on the streets. And I know these instances yep. are, are, you know, they're they're hard to compare, you know, because that event had imminent danger in the moment. The coronavirus is bringing a whole different kind and more long term danger. But uh, you definitely have, maybe you can't say you've seen it all, but you have seen many things in the sports world that a lot of folks haven't. <laughs> yeah, I've seen my fair share. I put it that way, especially when on the air live. Uh, yeah, they, uh, I'll never forget Sports Illustrated uh, did a cover story on Mikhail Riley's shot, which was a clear iron kind. The ball went around the rim, off the backboard and in, as he was falling off uh, the baseline uh, to tie the game and send it to overtime. And we were, I guess, a couple of minutes into overtime when the tornado, which was an F2, uh, came ripping through the Georgia Dome in downtown uh, Atlanta. There were more than 20,000 people there, and as would be the case in a lot of situations, most of those Mississippi State and Alabama fans would likely have been uh, hitting the streets of the city, and because of the game going to overtime, were held in, and that was a uh, safe haven without question. So, um, I think uh, the the documentary in the Thirty for Thirty that ESPN did was called Miracle Three, uh, and uh, uh, if you haven't seen it, you'll no doubt see it sometime in the future. They re-air it from time to time. It's a great show. And uh, you don't think about it, you know, you don't think about it until well after the fact. When we got back to the uh, hotel that night, which was amazing, we were staying at the Marriott Marquis only a few blocks away. Power was fine. There'd been no problem. I mean, you, you would have never been able to tell anything had hit in Atlanta, and yet if you were around um, in those days, it would have been... Um, uh, the, the the new Phillips Arena, uh, where the old Omni would have been, CNN Center, uh, the Omni Hotel. I mean, it looked like a, a war zone just outside the Georgia Dome. But just a few blocks over, you every, everything was fine. So it was surreal from that standpoint. But uh, and then they had to hurry and and uh, take down all the the cable and get the television trucks moved over to. Georgia Tech, and we had a similar situation as we had in New York. That was the one similarity. On that Thursday in New York, only 400 tickets were allocated to each team, not counting the pep bands and the the cheerleaders. For the the SEC tournament, it was um, 400. I think it was 200, actually. 200 in New York per team, not counting cheerleaders and and band members, but 400 uh, only for the teams that were playing in the rest of the SEC tournament, which we had to pick up with the second quarterfinal game, which was um, uh, the game between Kentucky and Georgia was the game that was coming up next. So Georgia had to play twice that day. They won both games, of course, went on to win the tournament in a real shocking surprise. They were only a four-win team that entire year. But to get all of that uh, moved and uh, was a Herculean effort, really, and to finish off that tournament in time was – Unbelievable, really, to think about going back and, and just remembering all that. I went to bed at about three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, not knowing where I was going to be or when the game would start. And I got a wake-up call at my door at about 8 a.m. saying, we need you at the uh, 
Alexander Memorial Coliseum on the campus of Georgia Tech. We need you there in an hour. <laughs> We're starting at noon, so hurry up. It was wild. I mean, it really was. Well, you know, now we're approaching, what, almost 50 days without sports, and, you know, immediately on the sports calendar, two of your favorites were impacted immediately, and we talk about March Madness and the Masters. Uh, to, to have two of those uh, marquee events uh, go off the shelf right away, you know, definitely kind of impacted the disappearance of sports. Yeah, and uh, it's just a, a, a little bit of a new normal that I think we're all facing. I, we're, I think we're getting to a point now where frustration is setting in. You're beginning to see that, I think, with um, you know the way news is being disseminated on a daily basis. Uh, it seems the closer we get to Election Day, the more politicized the pandemic uh, issue becomes, uh, which is unfortunate, but it's just a part of the world we live in today. I do think that um, when we do get sports back, as you and I are speaking, the NFL is talking about starting its season and starting it off time. Uh, college football doesn't have to make a decision yet, probably won't for about another, um, I'd say, four to six weeks about what it's going to do with its startup. But as we see maybe baseball and basketball, uh, some golf events uh, you know, being rescheduled and being played, which is uh, more than likely about a month away when we get into June, maybe we'll have a different view of things. Uh, Maybe there'll be a little more optimism out there. Um, But without question, uh, it's going to be a cluttered calendar in the fall with all of the golf events, including the U.S. Open, being moved into November. And it's going to be bizarre. Uh, And if we move college football or the NFL back, uh, which I don't think the NFL is, but let's say college football does move back three weeks to a month, uh, it could be incredible, uh, the amount of sports that we have on. So I'm trying to get as rested as possible because <laughs> it's conceivable I could be doing a, a college football game or an NFL game and maybe two or three basketball games in the same week. Oh, you know, you never know. Yeah. So I guess, I'm, I, I, guess I should get my deep, breath and recharge my battery as best I can right now. You know, after 9-11, we knew sports was coming back sooner rather than later. And of course, again, we, you know, right now it's a challenge because we we still have so much we don't know. And I think also the fact that, you know, lives are still being lost. Uh, You know, people are without jobs. You don't have full-scale testing yet. So how much of a slippery slope is it? Do you, you know, speculate on the resumption of sports? Oh, I I think we're going to have it. Uh, I think that um, a lot of people are jumping to conclusions, either positively or negatively, too soon. Uh, In the sports that I uh, am most passionate about, college football and basketball, uh, there's a lot more to lose if if their sport is not played financially. Uh, It doesn't have the infrastructure or the economic wherewithal to be able to absorb uh, an entire season without the revenues generated or sports as we know it at the intercollegiate level could be adversely affected uh, for the rest of our lives. I mean, it really could be. Uh, the pro sports don't have to worry about that. Uh, they have more control of their circumstances and situations. Um, that's why I tell people, if, if you think you have all the answers, you're lying <laughs> because you don't. Um, I'm asked sometimes to, to answer hypotheticals or speculative questions and 
and I do based on the, the knowledge that I've uh, accrued over four decades of covering sports and understanding the financial uh, circumstances of, uh, of what college football in particular means, and I just can't see a way where that we don't play. Now, when we, when we do is, is to be determined, and I think that, uh, as I said earlier, if, if we're in the same position that we're in now, a month from now, then we're, we're definitely going to be pushing things back some. But I don't think we will be. I think that we're going to see continued growth and success already. What was it, last week, the end of the week, we found out information regarding remdesivir is, a, is a, not a vaccine, but certainly um, a deterrent, uh, a blocking agent, if you will, from a medical point of view, that can be used as a form of treatment uh, against COVID-19. We didn't have that before. You know, we were struggling to, to say, how, how do you go about treating this? We're not talking about stopping it. We're talking about, we're talking about blocking its continued growth. Um, so it's not a vaccine, but it is something that you could say, well, if one of your players or one of your student athletes were to um, become um, infected by CD-19, how do you go about treating uh, that athlete. Well, now we know remdesivir can be helpful. Between now and uh, this time in, in, in June, I think we'll probably know more. So we, I think that we, we, we need to keep our eyes open, our head on a swivel, and hope that the science uh, improves. It seems to be improving daily. It really does. Uh, and then hope that the administrators, I know I'm, I'm encouraged when I talk to commissioners, coaches, and athletic directors about where they are in terms of the number of contingency plans that they have in play that they're looking at. No, no decisions have been made, but they've got a lot of contingencies on the back burner. Uh, if, if we're in a position uh, four weeks from now where we're, we're not looking as, as well as maybe we hope, but we think that we have a chance to still resume uh, sports as we, we know it, just maybe a little bit later than the norm. Yeah, and maybe with uh, less people or no people, but uh, definitely getting sports back yeah. would definitely be a, a great thing. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about while I had you is, uh, uh, you know, about the, the the profession that you're in, play-by-play. And I know recently you've uh, you've highlighted some guys on your Twitter feed, you know, great play-by-play guys who are not signature voices of their network. Uh, recently, Don Cricky, Vern Lundquist, uh, I think of a guy like uh, the, the, the late Charlie Jones, Um you know, it's it to me the the signature voice of a network was you know because back in the day there were only three networks and only a handful of games. Now sports is on seven days a week, twenty four hours a day. Do you think the quote unquote signature voice of a network model is one that is really doesn't pertain to today's broadcasting world? Oh, that's a great question. I've never really had that one uh, brought up. I do think that more of us that that are are not the so-called number one signature guys are heard. You know, more people, I think, have um, perhaps seen or heard my work, not not just because of the generational aspect, although that's part of it, but um, I think you're right. We're inundated with sports all the time. You know, I'm certainly of the cable generation. Uh, my star began to rise as cable television was taking off, and... There were so many games, you know, the number one guy couldn't be everywhere. So, 
that meant there was a lot of opportunities for other people. So to your point, I think that um, judging, and, I, and I, I, I've noticed this in recent years, maybe part of it's because I've, uh, I've graduated into my, my senior years at 64 years of age, but, uh, and there's a certain level of respect, I think, that comes over time. But um, I, I sometimes am surprised at how many people can remember this or that game that I called in either football or basketball. And that's, that's nice. It's always uh, uh, flattering to hear and see. But um, when I point out guys from the generation I was growing up with, and Ricky and Charlie Jones are two great examples. Jim Simpson would be another yep. who was behind Gowdy at NBC. Um, you know, I think a lot of people... Uh, maybe you've forgotten about some of the uh, outstanding voices in the early days of college football besides Keith Jackson uh, and Al Michaels at ABC. Uh, there were several others. Um, but but, I, but the thing that, that jumps out to me is that they were only on, you know, on a Saturday afternoon and only on to a, a region of the country. You know, when ESPN came on the air, they may have not been in more than, you know, they didn't have 80, 90 million homes like they had now. But, but but all those games are national ball games. Uh, and the same is true with FS1 now. Uh, if you're watching a college basketball game on FS1, yeah, you have cable. You have to have cable to get it. But boy, oh boy, just <laughs> everybody seems to have cable that's watching sports television. Uh, or they're getting it some other way. Mm-hmm. You know, they're getting it uh, on their phones from a digital device. To your point, there are more of us that are well-known now that aren't necessarily number one guys than say was the case thirty or forty years ago. That's a that's a great point that you that you make, and I, I think that speaks to the opportunities that are available out there. You know that I tell young people all the time this, Jeff. You know there are only uh, there are only so many guys that can have gigs like a Jim Nance, a, a Joe Buck, an Al Michaels, or a Mike Tirico. I mean that's just that's less than one hand of people that I named off. Mm-hmm. Uh, the great majority of us uh, that that uh, are successful have, have not acquired the number one position, but we've had remarkably wonderful careers, uh, great moments, exciting games, and uh, moments that we'll treasure for a lifetime. And um, we weren't always going to be, you know, doing the Super Bowl or the World Series or um, the College Football Championship. Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't get great moments and great games. And because all of them are televised, and for the most part, done so nationally, not just to a region of the country, which was the case back in the old days when there were only three networks, then, yeah, I think our work may be a little more appreciated and, and we may be a bit more uh, well-known than uh, those from previous generations. That's a, it's a wonderful question. I've never really thought of that. Well, I know you also are are good about mentoring uh, folks that are coming up and rising in the business. And 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 from your perspective, because you're a guy who's done a, a lot of different things, whether it's anchoring Sports Center, doing the college football pregame show, to doing the play by play. What is like the number one thing you tell young broadcasters uh, to help guide them on their path? Every day is an audition. Uh, every opportunity that you have is uh, uh, one that you have to take advantage of. Uh, just know that um, no matter where you're doing the game, uh, no matter how small the radio station or the uh, streaming devices that you may be calling your game on, uh, 
somebody's got access to it that can be influenced by the, the job you do. Um, there are more jobs out there. Uh, the jobs may not be uh, of the same ilk or quality uh, that they were when I was coming out, but we got to remember when I was coming out, there was only one ESPN. Now there are about seven of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, Fox has uh, Fox, and they have Sports One, and they have FS2, and they have. You know, it seems like all these these networks have three or four other channels, which gives more opportunity, um, and that's a wonderful thing. And young broadcasters can take advantage of that. The um, uh, the opportunity and in the inventory that's come by way of the conference networks, whether it's the ACC network or the SEC network or the Big Ten give opportunities as well, the Pac-12 too. So there are more opportunities for you to take advantage of, but you have to remember that every day is an audition. Every opportunity that comes your way is a chance at a rep, uh, and, and the more repetition that you have, the greater the opportunity you have to improve. So that's what I tell them. And uh, it's tough. It can be discouraging at times because it seems that uh, the, the level of competition is just immense, and it is. Uh, it is. And, and uh, because we all love these, these jobs, a lot of old guys like me don't want to necessarily leave that soon. <laughs> uh, I, I, that's one of the reasons I was in the studio for as long as I was. Uh, Vern Lundquist was an outstanding play-by-play guy that, that did it, did it uh, into his upper 70s. And uh, I got to a point in my latter 50s um, about seven, eight years ago where the clock was ticking, and I needed to find another outlet. And uh, fortunately for me, Fox was there. But, um, you know, taking advantage of all those opportunities, which I'd like to think I did, uh, whether it was uh, uh, the original game day host uh, at ESPN in the mid-'80s or uh, moving over to Turner in the mid-'90s and uh, working um, uh, in the NBA and doing inside the NBA before it became a big deal was something that was special, and calling Hawks games and Braves games was uh, remarkable. And every step led to something else, something new and better. Uh, the SEC on CBS was uh, a vital uh, cog in my uh, success story, and uh, I don't know that I would have gotten where I am today at Fox were it not for the fact that I did the college football today and the NCAA tournament for 18 years. That was... Uh, you know, a wonderful run. and um, But but you always have to be thinking about the next step, even at this stage of my career. Um, you know, the moment you begin to get complacent or you think you've seen it all, that's when, you, <laughs> that's when you're in trouble because you haven't seen it all. Yeah. Not only knows I didn't see what was coming at halftime on March the 12th when I was calling that game between Creighton and St. John's, you got to be prepared for anything that might happen to you. Uh, so that among just telling young men and young women to be themselves, you know, to find out who they are on the air as opposed to just who they are off the air, um, be comfortable in your own skin, uh, but, but maintain a level of uh, confidence so that you can carry with you some credibility and convince people that you know what you're talking about. Because if you don't believe in you, you're certainly not going to persuade anybody else to believe in you. Yeah. 
Well, Tim, you've had a remarkable career, that's for sure. And one thing before I let you go, and uh, I myself, like you, are a fan of the TV series Blue Bloods. And uh, how about that season finale with the uh, the with the, with a swerve of another Reagan? Yeah, how about that? I I actually on that Friday of last week, I was uh, I saw a tweet from. Um, Anthony Abadamarco, the guy that plays Anthony Abadamarco, Stephen Shripa, I think is his name. Yes, yes. And and he he put out a tweet about their their last episode, and I responded to him. Uh, I've also done this with Donnie Wahlberg, and he responded. And uh, I, I think they love obviously responding to the many fans that they have. My wife and I come from you know very strong. Uh, Italian families and Sunday dinner was always a big deal for us coming up and uh, the reality of uh, of watching that show and what it you know how it touches us is uh, uh, pretty remarkable so I, I tweeted something to him he tweeted something back uh, we each followed one another and I watched the show um, and I watched it on DVR because we were in the middle of uh, including a binge watch on Homeland. So I was finishing up watching that uh, Netflix uh, Showtime series. But anyway, I went back and watched it and saw that they added a uh, a new uh, a new niece and, and uh, uh, excuse me, a new nephew for, uh, for the, the kids to uh, the commissioner and uh, a grandson to him. And uh, it was just remarkable to have that kind of interaction with, with some of the cast members that are uh, involved in it. there, I think there's a portion of all of us that are in every form of uh, entertainment uh, to wonder about what if, sort of about, sort of a little bit like my uh, my flirtation with Wheel of Fortune years ago. <laughs> you know, that career path could have been uh, changed or altered somewhat uh, had I actually gotten that gig when I finished second to Rolf Benershka. But yeah, I, I, love, I love watching... Uh, shows and getting to know some of the people involved. Uh, and through the years, I've gotten to know quite a few actors. But it was just funny to me to see that uh, on that very day, he tweeted something out. I respect. That's one of the things about social media, social networking, that I like. You know, the way that we can uh, reach out and touch someone that we don't know, and then uh, begin a um, uh, a social media uh, relationship with, as I did with. Uh, uh, Anthony Abadamarco, who's the detective for Aaron on uh, on Blue Bloods. Yeah, and you know what's remarkable to me is like like last week I stumbled upon the first season of Magnum PI, the original, and it's hard to believe that was forty years ago. <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is crazy. Yeah, and uh, and that's the thing. Uh, I'm as I said, I'm sixty four. Next year, uh, and I didn't. You're going to start thinking about these things when uh, you're beginning to write a, a book. And I was going back to the beginning. The first year I ever did high school football on, on radio was with my dad in 1971. So not this fall, Jeff, but next fall, I'll be celebrating my 50th anniversary of calling football. Whew. I think about that. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll be... <laughs> I'll be uh, 60... At that time, I'll be 65... I'm moving in on 65, and I started when I was 14 years old. Wow. That's, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, so, a, it's a great life, 50, Tim. 50 years, 50 years is a long time for someone 64. 
you know, <laughs> to be calling ball games. Yeah, no kidding. That's a, but that is awesome for you. And, uh, you know, and thanks to social media, you and I have gotten connected. And I certainly do appreciate the, the fact that you've come on the podcast to share some memories and talk sports with us. Even though we are sportsless right now, it is always a pleasure. Well, happy to do it, Jeff. And, and you're one of those young guys that I'm always encouraged to see. I feel good about the future of, of our business. we got a lot of great young broadcasters out there now some of whom have uh, on occasion counseled, uh, sought counsel from me and, and many others that I haven't met that I know are doing great jobs. And anytime I see someone coming up, I know I, I needed help along the way. I had a mentor in the great Kurt Gowdy, and, uh, you know, I, that, that's our legacy. Uh, you always want to pour into the next generation to help make uh, their opportunities uh, and their achievements moving forward. Uh, more easily um, uh, received. I think that's just the nature of uh, of what we do. Uh, if you're going to make a difference in your business, that's that's what you need to do. And uh, helping others that might eventually take your job is something that I think uh, the good guys are always going to do, and I'd like to think that that's my legacy. Well, you're a class guy, Tim, and do we do appreciate? I do appreciate the fact you called me young. That's uh, <laughs> because I'm not really that young. Because I'm not really young. So that's even that's a that's a that's a that's a great compliment. Thank you so much. And uh, Tim Brando, Fox Sports, we appreciate you being on. All right, Jeff. Thank you. And before we finish things up on this edition of the JAS podcast, I trust you are enjoying the. Big documentary series on Michael Jordan that the Four Letter Network has been running for the past few weeks with a few more episodes to go. I'm about halfway through. I'm a little bit behind on catching up on the episodes. I have uh, not been watching them when they air live because, you know, I'm a early to bed, early to rise kind of guy. So I've been banking them on the DVR and watching them at various different times. What I have found is that... Uh, have to I have to stay off Twitter, you know, when the when the episode comes on at nine o'clock and then I see my timeline the next morning and it's like, oh goodness gracious, everybody and their brother has to tweet their hot takes about every moving moment of the documentary. That's one of the things I kind of dislike about Twitter. I had that love-hate relationship. I love some of the content you get on there is really neat some of the engagements kind of fine but then you have that other engagement that is purely toxic and nasty and it gets over political for my tastes and twitter when these big events happen because right now the documentary is really the biggest thing happening in sports because there is no live sports to talk about but when big events happen you've got so many people out there especially people who are trying to you know, carve some notoriety for themselves. And they're hot taken every two minutes with the hashtag. <laughs> the last dance. So like, come on, people. We don't need to know your every moving thoughts in that particular <laughs> venue. Uh, anyway, hope you enjoyed the Tim Brando interview. It was so great to have Timmy B on. And as always, we invite you to like and share this podcast with uh, you know, on your social media and with your friends and whatnot. 
And please follow me on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88. Help me on the love side of the Twitter, not the hate side, if you will. And uh, as always, if you're new to the podcast, we hope you will subscribe. We are available on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and more. I should really write down that list so I can keep it in front of me and recite them all back. Tune in radio, that's another one. So uh, you definitely subscribe if you're a first-timer along, and hopefully we'll continue to bring you distractions and keep you away from uh, some of the some of the tough times we're going through right now. Hopefully things were, are starting to trend towards the better. As always, we do remind you, do not hoard the toilet paper when it gets back on the shelves and wash your hands. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer Self is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.